Excuse me. Before we move on to the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to share a few thoughts about the day and the lessons. Really, the lessons that we read this morning um, really speak for themselves. Uh, we have uh, our first lesson, uh, which uh, was from Matthew 21, um, that talked about and told us the uh, events of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then uh, five, or five chapters later in Matthew 26, the Passion Gospel, um, where Jesus begins in the agony in the garden and continues on uh, to his death and his burial in the tomb. So what precipitated those events? What, what caused all that to be placed into motion? Well, in the Gospel according to John, before we, just before we get to Jesus' triumphal entry on that first Palm Sunday, uh, we find that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. This is in John chapter 11. And I'm not going to read that whole chapter. I encourage you to read it. Um, we're all familiar with that story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead for the glory of God. But after he did this, after uh, Lazarus came out of the tomb, and I'm in chapter 11 of John at verse 45, many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And so from that day, they made plans to put him to death. So it was Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead that really set the ball in motion, that fired up the high priest, and the leaders in Jerusalem, it's time that Jesus has to go. Remember, up till that point, in order for you to, as a Jew, in order for you to receive forgiveness of your sins, you had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You had to go to the temple, and you had to either bring with you a sacrifice or purchase the sacrifice that was there. If you brought your own, you risked the inspection before the worship, um, denying your sacrifice, saying, no, it's not going to be acceptable, so you're going to have to come up with a different sacrifice, which meant you were going to have to go and buy a sacrifice there in the temple court. Also remember that in the temple, you, you couldn't, we had people coming, Jews coming from all over different places, bringing different money with them from wherever they came. And so in order for them to purchase anything for, wor for worship or sacrifice in the temple, for it not to be defiled money, they had to first go to and get the money exchanged for temple money. 
And of course, there were cuts that were made for the people who were doing the exchanges and the animals and the, and the, the different sacrifice offerings that were being sold. Basically, were ripping people off because you had no choice. You had to buy it there. And so um, ever since that time, up to that time, you had to come to get forgiveness of your sins by doing and participating in this whole sacrificial process that was corrupt at this point. But John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and Jesus are telling people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John was baptizing people. And, and he was doing this out in the wilderness. He was basically saying to people, repent, confess your sins and repent, change your life. Because the kingdom is now, it's coming, it's now. Um, you don't need to go to the temple to get forgiveness of your sins. If you turn yourself over to God and you repent, you can be washed from your sins. That's what John's baptism was all about. And of course, Jesus, by his baptism and by his death on the cross and the coming of the Spirit, changes that whole baptism process into something much greater even. But still, the temple system is corrupt. You don't need to go to the temple in order to be forgiven. You don't need to go to the temple in order to have your relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean that co corporate worship is not important. Jesus himself gives us that example over and over and over of when he goes to the synagogue and to the temple for worship because worshiping in community is so important. But because of the raising of Lazarus and the concern that people are believing in Jesus now, and maybe they're not going to come to the temple as least as much, and we're going to lose revenue as a result and perhaps even our positions of importance, we need to get rid of Jesus. This is the thought process of the high priest and the leaders. And so Jesus comes in. They're looking, they're looking for the perfect opportunity. And, and Jesus comes in riding on that beast of burden. Um, this is really significant because a king in triumph would actually ride a donkey or, or a colt, a foal of a donkey. Um, this was very symbolic that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this beast of burden. And the people that were there, and, and by the way, how many people were there? Well, estimates say there was at least 200,000 people there and probably closer to a million that are there for the Passover feast, the pilgrimage, in addition to the people who lived in Jerusalem. And so there's thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims that are there. And they're crying out to Jesus and they're hailing him, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's riding in on his donkey and they're laying their cloaks, creating a royal carpet for him. And they're cutting down palm branches and they're waving them and they're laying palm branches down on the ground. And so... That caught the attention, for sure, of, of the Romans, but also of the temple leadership. And in their minds, I'm guessing, they're thinking, now's the time. He's coming to throw us, to overthrow us. The people are going to revolt. It's going to be a huge problem. We're going to lose our position. He needs to go. And so chapter 21 that we read this morning of Matthew talks about Jesus' triumphal entry. And right after the triumphal entry, right after Palm Sunday, at verse 12, Jesus goes to the temple. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned 
the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of thieves and robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. And so they had exactly what they needed. They had Jesus creating a ruckus in the temple. And that was righteous, righteous anger, by the way. Jesus goes into that temple and he's thinking, he sees this and he says, what have they done? How much more can they blaspheme God? This temple was built to be a house of prayer and they just turned it into a den of thieves. It's a market. It's a corrupt market to just rip people off and just to make money over money over money. And he has righteous anger. And so what do they do? What do these leaders do? They're able to take that event and twist it that Jesus is, is, is inciting a riot. And it's the perfect opportunity for them to say, that's it, he's done. We're going to take care of him. And they go uh, and they set their plan in motion. And then, of course, we had the whole Passion Gospel. And it really does speak for itself. I don't need to go into it any further other than to say, really absorb the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me and, and for the sins of the whole world, not just for believers, but that sacrifice was for everyone who had ever walked the face of this earth and whoever will. Jesus went through all of that for all of us so that the gift that he offers, that resurrection on Easter, can be given to each one of us who accept him. Just accept what he did. Accept this chapter, Matthew 21, that we read, the Passion Gospel, of what he did of his own free will out of love for you and for me. And that's all you have to do to inherit that gift of eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.